This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Yeah, I know. Hang on a second. I think there's someone following me. Yeah, I have my bolt right here. I'll be safe. I'll call you back. Don't be a victim to a would-be attacker. Carry the Taser Bolt and stay safe. With one simple tap of the button, the Taser Bolt delivers a powerful, continuous 30-second volt of electricity without requiring you to hold down or touch the device, giving you time to take your attacker down and escape safely. Taser International will even replace your bolt upon sending them a copy of the police report free of charge. Get it now at pjsafety.com. While you're there, explore our family of non-lethal personal defense products to increase your defense capability and safety. Be proactive and get to pjsafety.com and choose from thousands of easy-to-use personal defense products right now. Tasers, stun guns, sprays, security alarms, and more. pjsafety.com. That website again, pjsafety.com. Your safety begins at pjsafety.com. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. to have an out-of-body experience for this first segment. Welcome to the program. The reason I say I need you to have an out-of-body experience, because if you come to this segment with your emotion, if you come to this segment with your passion, your that you have your heels dug in as to what should happen moving forward in this uh, presidential primary, then you won't understand what I'm getting at here. So we're about a week since Senator Ted Cruz and Governor Kasich bowed out, making Donald Trump the presumptive nominee. I know he doesn't have 1,237 delegates confirmed yet, but he's probably going to get there. And yet the emotions are still running high. I understand the disappointment. But look, folks. The presidential primary is a contest. The winner of a contest does not have to acquiesce to the loser of the contest. That's not how these things work, as difficult as it is when you come out on the short end. And as I said last week, don't take your anger and your emotion out on Donald Trump for being successful. Take it out on your candidate for not being able to connect with the American voter or the process, whatever it is. That's who you need to be upset with. So now we have this situation where a lot of people are still not happy that Donald Trump might be the nominee for the GOP to take on probably Mrs. Bill Clinton. In November. And I'm hearing a lot of crazy talk. I'm hearing things like running a third candidate. Um, I'm hearing people say they're going to write somebody in. I'm hearing some people who claim to be conservative and and GOP voters say they'd be willing to vote for Mrs. Bill Clinton. Well, that's pretty crazy. Now, let's go back a little bit as to where I started out in this contest some eight, nine months ago. And you can go back and look at the previous contest. 
or a podcast, I should say. I said, I don't have a horse. I'm going to remain on the sidelines. I use the horse racing metaphor. And I will eventually support whoever wins this nomination. I made that clear. I also heard some of the candidates sign the pledge and take the pledge that they would support the eventual nominee, and now I'm hearing some of them back out. Jeb Bush will not support Donald Trump as the Republican nominee. Well, he signed the pledge. You know, if you want to want to want to call yourself a principled conservative. One of the principles of conservatism is that you're reliable. The people could take you at your word. They gave their word, and that whole thing was about Trump anyway. They were they were fearful. They they all knew Trump won't get this nomination and he'll run third party. He signed it. Trump signed it. As did everybody else. And other people who are living up to that pledge, like Scott Walker who said, I will support the nominee. He said it last week, knowing that Trump is the presumptive nominee. Several others have said that. Some have come out and said they won't do it. Well, fine. Like I said, it's your vote. Donald Trump has to earn your vote. I am not going to tell you to get in line or get on board and get with the program. But here's what I want you to think about. And here's what I have been for from the beginning. I'm not about a person, which is why I didn't endorse anybody. Here's what I'm for. I'm for this republic. I'm for this lawfully constituted republic and the survival of that lawfully constituted republic. That's who I'm for. The concept of self-rule, self-governance. And we have suffered, and I don't use that word lightly, we have suffered under seven years of a dictator who has obliterated the separation of powers. He has obliterated the Constitution. He has used abuse, I should say, his authority. He has the authority to issue executive orders. Those things should be used carefully. He used them to skirt the Constitution. We cannot afford not four more years. And forget about, well, in four years, we'll try to run somebody else against Mrs. Bill Clinton. Forget about it. If she wins, we're going to have eight more years. That's 16 years of liberal liberal rule in the White House. We can't come back from that. And that's why I've asked people, and that's why I started the program by saying, I need you to have an out-of-body experience so you can put all that other stuff aside. This is about the survival of the republic. It is not about Donald Trump. It's not about the RNC. It's not about the GOP. It's about the survival of the republic. And some people are willing to roll the dice. At least that's what they're saying now. And I realize we're still in this highly emotional period. 
But at some point, we have to remember, folks, one team, one goal. Let me say that again. One team, one goal. That's what has to happen here. And all this other stuff, these personality conflicts, and this cannibalism that has gone on, at some point is going to have to dissipate. I don't know how. But as long as people are willing to keep their heels dug in, then what they're signaling to me is they really don't care about the republic. This is more about them. It's about their self-interest. It's about who they think should be the nominee. No, the process determines the nominee. Not you, the process. The sooner we get over all of this emotion and the sooner we stop with the circular firing squad, the faster we can set our sights back on the real enemy here, and it is Mrs. Bill Clinton. That's who our crosshairs need to be set on. The common language. You need a common enemy and a common language to accomplish an objective, a mission. Remember I said, one team, one goal. Here's another one. The republic comes first. And you're going to have to pivot, some of you, from the never-Trump to the never-Hillary. The never-Mrs. Bill Clinton. And the sooner that you do that, the quicker we can get on to the task at hand here. Because time's a-wasting. It really is. And anybody who would say, I'll forego this election, All you're doing to me is you're, you're, you're really communicating your self-interest. So just give that stuff some thought, please, as we move forward uh, toward this nomination and, and, and on to November. It is about the survival of our lawfully constituted republic. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Supposedly there is a sport that is competitive endurance tickling. For two grand an hour. Have five guys like straddling you, tickling you, your shirt off, them filming it, and you know it's going to be on the internet. They're not like naked or anything, right? No, but they've got like boy shorts on and like uh, wife beaters. Yeah, I'm not liking that, but two grand, yeah, I'm in. I'm down with that, yeah. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday mornings, 6 to 9 Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. I want to dwell again on this sentencing reform, criminal justice reform, this misnamed bill moving through the Congress where you have the GOP, who at one time stood for law and order, and they stood for the rule of law. They were very pro-police. 
very pro-victim, crime victim. Now they're getting into bed, these sleazy Democrats, and trying to give aid and comfort to criminals, as if there's some sort of political prisoners. You know, Barack Obama's on this this kick about this uh, this mass incarceration. It's a myth, by the way. And he's emptying out the federal prisons systematically, where some restoring their rights, commuting their sentences, shortening their sentences. And this is going to have a profound impact on states and local community because these guys are going to come out of these federal prisons These are career criminals, violent, dangerous career criminals. They're trying to sell us on the fact that a major drug dealer is not a violent crime. Yes, it is. Because of all the crime associated with the drug trade, the drive-by shootings, the gang shootings, the armed robberies, the gang wars that go on for turf, And so the GOP, and what it really is an attempt to create an illusion, are working overtime to craft and get this bill to the Senate floor. It's where it's going to have its biggest hang-up. And really the intent is to be able to go back to their home district this summer for those that are up for re-election and show how nice they are to black people. Look, we're kind to black people. Listen to this from Paul Ryan, who was interviewed about this, and he, he supports this wholeheartedly. He said, I think we need to let more people earn a second chance at life. What? What Paul won't tell you is that the majority of these criminals have been granted second, third, fourth, fifth, and six chances at victimizing even more innocent, law-abiding citizens. Just this past week in Milwaukee County, where I'm the sheriff, we had two law enforcement officers that were shot at in armed robbery attempts. One was hit with the gunfire, and, and, and only his body armor saved him. Both of those individuals had extensive criminal histories, violent felonies that either weren't processed or what have you. They weren't charged with them. They weren't held accountable. So what happens? They go back out and they reoffend. This is not rocket science, ladies and gentlemen. Now, these people on Capitol Hill who have no experience with violent crime. It doesn't happen where they live. It doesn't happen to their kids. Their wives don't get the, the cold blue steel of a firearm put up against their head and have their car taken at the gas station or at the grocery store. It happens to poor black people, poor Hispanic people living in the American ghetto. It happens to women, children, Seniors, just this week, a nine-year-old girl in Milwaukee, the city of Milwaukee, inside her home, watching television, 
struck by gunfire as a gang feud broke out. And she took a straight bullet to the head and she lays clinging to life. You know, those gangs that Mrs. Bill Clinton said people join for a family experience. That we can make something positive out of gangs. She doesn't have to worry about her daughter, Chelsea, or her grandchild. Dodging bullets where they live. Mrs. Bill Clinton stops at a black church. That's her only exposure to the black community. Whoring for votes. And she'll get up there, you know, and rock and roll to the gospel music and put on a good show. And then she leaves with her Secret Service protection. Well, this nine-year-old girl couldn't leave. And this is happening continually. By the way, last weekend in the city of Chicago, once again, 45 people shot in a weekend. Six dead, 39 wounded in Chicago, 80 miles from Milwaukee. So when I hear Paul Ryan sit up in here, he sit up here and say, I think we need to let more people earn a second chance at life. It it really makes me wonder why the GOP would abandon a tenant of theirs, law and order. They would cede the high ground on that to the Democrats to get in bed with them for some dangerous policy bill that's only going to really make them look good, make them look sensitive. Remember what John Cornyn said? He's another one that supports this. John Cornyn said recently, it doesn't hurt to show that you actually care. This is a statement that is not just symbolic, but actually shows that you care about people. It doesn't hurt to show some empathy. He's talking about the criminal element. What about the nine-year-old who's showing empathy for her and her family? as they hold vigil in a Milwaukee-area hospital as she clings to life. The police officer, who narrowly escaped death at the hands of some career criminal. This criminal-friendly legislation is heavy on sympathy for repeat violent offenders and mentions nothing, zero, about the victims left in their wake. I find this quite remarkable, folks. What victims group, past and future victims, are represented in this flawed, criminal-friendly bill? None. Zero. So they have this craptacular bill And they're trying to get my support with a few amendments to make it better. I do not believe, I do not believe in negotiating from that position. You start with a bad bill and try to make it better? Why don't we wipe the slate clean, start out telling the truth, deal with the reality and behavior of crime and criminals, and craft a good bill to start with and then try to make it better? This dangerous bill is against everything society does to deter and punish crimes against 
vulnerable, vulnerable people, the elderly, the women, the very young, and disproportionately black and Hispanic law-abiding citizens. Folks, I've been doing this for 38 years. This crap has never worked. I'm on the front line at street level, pushing back against the criminal element every day. And I'm out here trying to implore this Congress. We're far removed from daily life in the American ghetto to give this flawed legislation a proper burial and start over with a bill based on the truth about criminal behavior. So that poor blacks, Hispanics, women, children, and seniors have have at least a chance at a safer existence. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton. I'm not saying they're going to do it to you. I'm not saying they're going to do it to everyone. But can they do it to a few people to make an example for all the rest? Of course they can. Of course they can. Did the IRS have to target all Tea Party groups? No. Targeted a few. Word gets around pretty fast. And they were doing that somewhat quietly, by the way. Uh, Facebook and these other digital entities could do it very publicly, and there's really nothing we could say about it. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. To David Clark, the People's Sheriff. I want to stay with this theme coming into this segment. Folks, this is important public policy that has to be defeated. And I need you to call your congressman, congresswoman, or your senator. Uh, you know, they rarely hear from people back home. They hear from the lobbying firms. They hear from the special interests. But they rarely hear from people back home, the individual, you, And you need to demand that they stand in opposition to this criminal justice reform, this uh, wrongly named bill, sentencing reform, sweeping through Congress right now. You know, remember what I said about the left. Always look like two steps ahead of what they're doing to see where they're heading. Don't look at the moment. Don't look at this um, Trojan horse that they're selling is only low-level offenders. It'll save money. It will uh, reduce crime, and it's it, it'll show our sensitivity. The left sees this as an important step toward eliminating jails and prisons as a crime control tool. They want to banish jails and prisons as a crime control tool. That's their ultimate goal. This is a step in that direction. And this is a very important step. They've been working on this for 15 years. You know, I've talked in this program about how I admire the left's patience and perseverance. They wait till that one moment, that defining moment, and then they kick the door down. Some of this has to do with the fact that Obama's reign of terror is coming to an end as well. You know, he's been leading this charge. Uh, here's something uh, Barack Obama said about this uh, uh prison situation you know last July he told the NAACP quote in too many places black boys and black men and Latino boys and Latino men experienced being treated different under the law claiming his assertion wasn't anecdote or barbershop talk but instead backed by data there is no data I'm going to give you the data in a minute 
There is no data to prove his point. It's long on sloganeering, long on emotion, backed by no data or research. But back to his quote here. Quote, the real reason our prison population is so high, he said, is because American, America has locked up more and more non-violent drug offenders than ever before. So let's take a look at the makeup of the federal prison population. 54% of inmates are serving sentences for violent crimes. This is a Department of Justice statistics. 54% of inmates are serving sentences for violent crime, 19% for property crime, and 16% are drug offenders, of which the vast majority are dealers. Almost all inmates, particularly property and drug offenders, received a plea bargain, meaning they agreed to plead guilty to lesser crimes than they actually committed. So when I look at this chart here from the Bureau of Justice Statistics, as I said, 54% of federal prisoners are in there for violent crime, 19% property crimes, 16% drug offenders, of which 12% are traffickers. Only 4% of the prison population is in for possession. And don't forget, we're not talking about possession of a marijuana cigarette. They pled to a lesser offense. But here's the stat that really stood out for me. A study by the Urban Institute found that 99.5% of drug offenders in federal prison are dealers. 99.5% of drug offenders in federal prisons are dealers. Obama is straight up lying, as he always does, and as he always gets away with from the mainstream media who won't confront him with the reality of the makeup of the federal prison system. So they're going to dump these people back into struggling communities where they don't have the support services to thrive. They don't have functioning families or caring attachments. They come with no skills to offer an employer. So they're only going to be eligible for, say, transition jobs, working minimum wage. They're going to get frustrated at that and say, to hell with this. I'm not going to work 40 hours a week to bring home this paltry someone. I can go out and rob a 7-Eleven or I could sell dope. And make the money easier. See, this is how the criminal mind works. And Obama knows this. This is really about raw politics for him. So he's going to dump these people back. What do you think they're going to do? The studies are there. Anywhere from 67 to 70% of people who do prison time, when they get out, they reoffend. And they don't engage in shoplifting and disorderly conduct when they're released from prison. They go back to their felonious ways. So the statistics are on our side. The research is on our side. Those of us who stand on the side of law and order. So you go back to this bill that's supported by a lot of GOP members. I was on the Hill this week. Wednesday. To discuss this and to talk to some key members in Congress on both the Senate and the House side to try to shore up support to kill this bill. That's what needs to happen here. There's no fixing this craptacular bill. You don't start off from a premise of a bad bill, a flawed bill, and try to make it better. You start with a good bill and you try to make it better. This is a crappy Bill, it's dangerous. But the Republicans want to show, because they ran 
on winning the House back that you give us control of the Congress, we're going to show you we can get something done. Well, they haven't got anything done on immigration reform. They haven't gotten anything done on entitlement reform. They haven't got anything done on fixing Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. They go for the low-hanging fruit. So what do the Democrats do? It, it's unbelievable. Democrats says, oh, yeah, they want to show they want to get something done. Hey, why don't we get criminal justice reform done? We've been trying to get this done forever. We'll work with you. We'll work together on this with you. And the GOP obliges. Hey, we got to show we can get something done. The consequences for good law-abiding black people and Hispanic people in the American ghetto are going to be catastrophic. So they're really willing to dump people overboard. And, and you know what I was hearing on Capitol Hill? The word is that these senators who are for this, you know, they, they don't want to get in the way because, you know, they don't want to be called racist. This is ra- this This bill is racist. Because black and brown or Hispanic law-abiding people are going to be overrepresented in terms of victimization once again. So while we were up there, I was up there with members of the National Sheriff's Association. We met with um, several lawmakers. John Brasso, Senator Brasso, Representative Steve Steve Scalise, who's the uh, the whip, the House whip, Senator Lamar Alexander, Representative Michael McCall of Texas. These guys all get it. Okay, but they carry some weight, and so we're trying to get up there and get to some key lawmakers who can hold some of these GOP together and stop allowing them to be peeled off by other GOP members to get this thing passed. Representative Ryan Zinke from Montana we met with. Representative Loomis of Wyoming. They get it. And we had a news conference with Senator Sessions, Senator Alexander. They get it. They know how dangerous and how horrible this would be. And they're holding the line. They need law enforcement support. So that's why we went up there. And I laid it out. And I said, you people have no experience. You people on the Hill have no experience with victimization, crime victimization. None. You don't live in these areas. And when we come back in the final segment, I'm going to read you a letter from a guy who does live in the belly of the beast. And he talks about how dangerous this was going to be. And it was going to increase black victimization. So if you don't want to believe the law enforcement guy and you don't want to believe the politician, let's go out and catch somebody from the public. You're going to be astonished when you hear this letter. David Clark. The People's Sheriff. On the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. Until the party declares him the nominee officially and bangs the gavel on that or bangs the gong. Get it on. Bangs a gong. Until that moment, that means Ted can still get in. Because Trump doesn't have it until the party says he has it. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 3 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. Blaze Radio Network On Demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. 
final segment here, I'm going to give you a taste of what life is really like at ground level from the perspective of somebody that's there besides me, uh, citizens. They're the ones that uh, will be impacted the most on this horrible public policy. It was kind of interesting because at the news conference, someone from the media specifically asked me, they said, so Sheriff, um, if they don't go through with this sentencing reform bill, uh, what should they? What should the Congress or the federal government do? And I said, nothing. Absolutely nothing. Sometimes the best thing to do is nothing. I said, leave this alone. It works. We know it works. Look at the crime declines over the last several decades. Do nothing. I said, what we can do to improve this, improve this situation, this dilemma, is to work with the juvenile justice center. Uh, juvenile justice system, I should say. Now, that's state. There's no federal juvenile justice system. The states can impact on this by working with people before this becomes ingrained human behavior. You know, as Frederick Douglass says, it's better to raise healthy children than to repair broken men. And that's exactly what we're trying to do here, repair broken men. Frederick Douglass got it. So, you know, that was my response to him. And then I had to, 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 to just over and over again get people in the audience here to me to stop saying low-level drug offender. I said to one reporter, I said, if someone was selling heroin or cocaine to your child, would you call that a low-level drug dealer? And he just stood there mute because, no, he wouldn't. It would be different then. And so that was that's my point in this thing with this, this group. I, I was trying to get them to put themselves in somebody else's shoes, out of this the, the politician's shoes, out of the, the beltway, the shoes of the beltway, or people living in the beltway. What do you think life is like in the American ghetto? It's a jungle. Surviving a jungle is very difficult. So I come across this this article, civil rights commissioner, who says cutting back sentences increases black-on-black crime. This is Alex Pfeiffer from the Daily Caller. It says a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights sent a letter to senators Thursday warning them of an increase in black-on-black crime due to sentencing reform. This was I was up on the Hill about. Quote, I live in a predominantly black area area of the inner city of Cleveland. For my neighbors and me, these concerns are not remote. When these men are released from prison earlier than other, they, they otherwise would have been, they're coming back to my neighborhood and neighborhoods like mine. Peter Kersenow wrote in a letter to members of the Senate Judiciary Committee, the committee has recently approved a criminal justice reform bill that lowers mandatory minimums and will allow convicts to have their sentences retroactively reduced. The biggest problem I have with this bill, they're making this retroactive to guys who've already received their due process. The bill has 37 bipartisan co-sponsors. Kirsten in a letter wrote, the Sentencing Reform Act is predicated on a belief that rehabilitation is not only possible, but likely. Yet scholarly literature indicates that a person who has been convicted of multiple offenses is always more likely to offend again than is a person who has never offended. 
Quote, in a three-year study of prisoners who released in 1994 conducted by the Bureau of Justice Statistics, 67.5% of the prisoners were rearrested for a new offense, almost exclusively for a new felony or serious misdemeanor. 46.9% were reconvicted for a new crime, and 25.4% were resentenced to prison for a new crime, the member of the Civil Rights Commission wrote. That's why, when I say this predicated, this bill on three lies... One of them is that it'll reduce costs. No, when these guys go back to the local communities and reoffend, who bears the cost for the criminal justice processing at the state level? Local communities. They're shifting costs. These guys are not going back to federal prison. They don't go back into the federal system. They stay at the state level. So we will be emptying the federal prisons and filling up state prisons and local jails. It's a... It's a trade-off is all it is. But yet you, you have these people like Dick Durbin and others. And there's GOP members, John Cornyn, saying, well, this will, will reduce prison costs. No, it won't. It will shift the cost. Back to the story here. Much of the effort behind the bill and many of the Obama administration's policies is based on a disparate impact theory. This is an idea that laws are, in effect, discriminatory if a certain class of race is disproportionately harmed by them. What about the victims? Who are overrepresented? They're mainly black. They're mainly black, but Hispanic, and a scattering of whites. But they're mainly black. What about that race of people disproportionately harmed? Back to the story here. Quote: Indeed, the racial disparity in incarceration is widely acknowledged to be a primary motivation for sentencing reform on the left, and perhaps in some corners of the right as well. Those African-American men will then return to their communities, which are more likely to be predominantly African-American, Kersino wrote. He added, quote, it is therefore likely that the victims of those released early will also be disproportionately black. This is not surprising. People tend to live in communities predominantly comprised of members of their own race or ethnic group. This guy gets it. And he's on the Civil Rights Commission. He's concerned about civil rights. But I always say, what about the rights of the victim? Who's representing the victims here? What about their second chance? We're dealing with a situation now. A nine-year-old girl in Milwaukee last week was in her house watching TV when a gang shootout broke out outside. Forty shots were fired. 40 in a residential area. Only one bullet struck somebody, struck the nine-year-old in the head, and she lays in a hospital clinging to life. What about her second chance if she doesn't survive this? What about the mental trauma, the psychological trauma of her family? How do they recover? What's the cost of that? I've really had it with these criminal sympathizers. And it isn't just your usual suspects. It's not just the ACLU. It's not just the NAACP. It's not just liberal academia who's conducting these social engineering experiments. That's all these things are. It's inmate programming, thinking you can change human behavior by giving somebody job training, that it's that simple. But now... The GOP is getting into bed with this? Need I say it again? 
This is what has led to the rise of Donald Trump, and I don't say that pejoratively. People have had it. This political class in Washington is disconnected. Of all the things that they could go at to try to get something done, they want to go for the low-hanging fruit. They are willing to risk the safety and security of black people, women, seniors, young people, to score some political points. So they can walk around next summer for those that are up for re-election and say, hey, look, we got something done. This Congress got something done. This isn't what we want done. They're harming us with this legislation. Cops that'll be killed. So I'm going to stay on top of this and I'll keep you appraised of what goes on. But again, call your congressman, please, and, and tell him thumbs down on this. We're out of time for the day. You can follow me during the week, as always, at Sheriff Clark, C-L-A-R-K-E on Twitter and at thepeoplesheriff.com. God bless you. David Clark, The People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.